FYI, and I don't mean fake news, this podcast contains huge spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 321 of the podcast that goes snicked. Snick, snick. <laughs> That's right, in a special flashback episode, it's stop. Hammer time. Larry Hammer time, that is. And um, I am your host, Jason. Wait, I'm not supposed to be the blue furry one, Venable. And I'm joined by special flashback co host, John. Taste like trouble, Wilson. Hey, John. I do taste like trouble, <laughs> but I didn't think we were going to talk about the licking in public. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, it's it, just that that bald head is too irresistible. Though, actually, you were talking about growing your hair out, so it may not be bald anymore. I don't know. Uh, no, it's still it's still it's still kind of got a really tight buzz cut. It's it's yeah. it's you know all but shaved. Um, <laughs> I thought about growing it back out again, but I was like, you know what? The whole reason I'm shaving it is because hair is a hassle. And here I am talking about giving myself a hassle, and I don't want to deal with it. So, <laughs> you got, you got other things, too many other things to do besides yeah. comb your hair. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, I already brush my teeth and wash my armpits. The hair is just a, right. a bridge too far. <laughs> I mean, it, there's that monthly shower. It always comes around, right? You know. So hair is just too much. Too much. But I'm excited to be on this episode. Um, uh, I hope that Cameron uh, out there, if you're listening, Cameron, don't mind me sitting in your chair here for a minute. Although you've got the, you've got it set really low, which is kind of weird. So I've adjusted a little bit. Um, it smells like cumin. But um, we're right. gonna we're gonna talk about the Larry Hama comics tonight. I'm so yeah. excited. Yeah, I'm pretty pretty excited too. So we were actually uh, chatting before we recorded. So just to kind of catch the listeners up. Um, this is my first time to read these three issues. We're going to talk about Wolverine 31 through 33. Um, you, you may or may not remember from past flashback episodes that you know, my Wolverine reading experience, I had uh, gotten issues two through around ten or so, and then had bailed for a little while, and then uh, caught back up um, after I read... Wolverine and the Punisher War Journal. I was like, hmm, that sounds interesting. And, you know, saved up some more allowance and went to the comic shop later and got issue 35 and then started collecting around 40. But I've never read the beginning of this run. So I was pretty excited to see kind of how it started and see how it fell into my memory of of Larry Hama's style, which I think is definitely something we'll be talking about tonight. Uh, John, had you read these previously? Um Let me back up previously to your current reading project. Right. So um, if if y'all have heard me on the uh, Marvel Comics Presents episodes, you know that I'm doing an X-Men read through and I'm a couple of years, comics years ahead of the show. Um, But before that, basically all of this era of X-Men was something I'd never experienced before. Um, X-Men to me was the 90s cartoon and... Uh, the movies and a few arcs here and there in the modern comics. Um, so going back and reading all the eighties and nineties Wolverine and the X-Men comics has been, you know, a real joy uh, and experience 
for me. So this has all been new. Um, I know Larry Hama's name from the G.I. Joe comics. Yes. Uh, another thing which I did not read at the time, but I have read quite a bit of, you know, in more recent years. Um, for me, G.I. Joe is an offshoot of my Transformers fandom. Um, I know that they interact in the comics. As a Transformers fan, I tried. I gave G.I. Joe comics a try and actually rather fell in love with them. So um, I didn't even know. I did not even know that Larry Hama wrote Wolverine, much less had like 100 issues <laughs> <laughs> of <Right>? the series. <laughs> yeah. So I get to issue um... 30. And go ahead, go ahead. I get to issue 31 a couple years ago, and I'm like, oh, Larry Hama? Larry Hama's writing Wolverine? Really? <laughs> and I go to mikesamazingworld.com and search up Larry Hama, string of Wolverine credits as long as my arm. Right. And I'm like, yeah. oh, so excited. <laughs> and, um, of course, now I've read a good 25 or 30-odd issues of his run where he gets into some really interesting and kind of bizarre takes with Wolverine. Yeah. And so I was, when you were approaching this run and your show, I was already like, you know what? I need to reread. So I was already planning on going back and picking these up and rereading them with your show. And now I'm launching that off with, with getting to talk about them on here. So it's great. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. You know, Larry Hama is, is nothing if not the long game writer. I mean, his GI Joe run and did the whole series from one to like what 130 something, I think, uh, 120 something, and then a very long run here on Wolverine. Um, you know, and it's interesting because a lot of similarities in how he writes between the two books, um, which we'll kind of get into, I think, as we run across some examples. Because even in this first three issues, you already see a lot of um, homoisms. <laughs> so it'll be really interesting to kind of kind of track that run again as a whole for me because much like you uh, this is my first time to kind of read it as one big story um mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm pretty excited to kind of kind of track it as we go through the flashback episodes so um just yeah. a, a random tidbit right at this time he picked up this book he also took over avengers for a little while it ended up only being like six issues but that's also something i didn't know it happened so i'm looking forward to reading right. that eventually too Okay, it looks like he's just like a force to be reckoned with in the 80s and 90s, because then he does several miniseries on Venom, um, oh, really? and then he does a run on Generation X after Wolverine's wrapped up. I mean, 80s and 90s Marvel has Larry Hama's DNA all through it, and I'm, I, I had no idea. I'm just looking at the credits right now. I'm looking forward yeah. to reading all this stuff. I didn't know he was that prolific either. That's really cool. Um, I'm trying to think of Avenger. How long is his Avengers run? It's pretty brief. Uh, okay. I don't know if he meant to go longer with it, but it's issues 326 through 333. Oh, wow. Okay. So like eight months. Yeah. Interesting. Um, now that you mentioned it, I'm really curious to see what a Larry Hama Avengers book looks like. Um, <laughs> you know, because well, I was going to kind of, kind of get into it. You know, one of the things that Hama does is ties everything together really closely um, what may seem like kind of extreme coincidences is just norm for Larry Hama's plots. Um, you see that a lot in G.I. Joe, and I think some of the stuff you were referring to later in the Wolverine run as well, where everybody's connected, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I'm really I'm interested to see if that plays out in, in his style of writing on, on some of the other Marvel books he does. 
Um, I would assume it probably would. I mean, it's kind of what he does, but he might break type. I don't know. Well, um, yes, we've got the first arc here, issues 31 to 33, and uh, yeah, I'm ready to dig into them if you are. Yeah, yeah. So it's not just the introduction of Larry Hama. It's also the introduction of a pretty... Now, he won't go the, he won't go the whole way with Hama because, you know, other things will happen like uh, Image, but um, a pretty lengthy run in his own right from Mark Silvestri, um, you know, jumping over from a pretty good run on Uncanny X-Men um, that kind of gave way to Jim Lee. Um, I've always wondered, and I don't think it really matters. These are both top-notch books. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like he stepped down or or got demoted to Wolverine, but... You know, I always wonder, like, if he said, hey, I want to do Wolverine, or if they said, hey, Jim Lee's doing Uncanny, will you take Wolverine? You know what I mean? Like, I've always kind of right. had that question in my head. Um, but either way, to have those books going at the same time, um, pretty awesome. <laughs> and was was very much the delight of, of teenage Jason until they both uh, skedaddled over to do their own things. Um, which, by the way, you want to hear about some of those own things they do. Uh, perfect time to kind of segue into a plug for uh, All the Pouches, which is the Image Comics podcast that Mr. Wilson does Oh, yeah, as well. yeah, yeah. He, uh, he did Cyberforce over there, and um, I'm looking at his credits right now. He has Cyberforce, he has Codename Strike Force. he has a couple of credits on the Deathmate crossover, which is a, a thing that happened. So, yeah, I've been reading some stuff on Street and enjoying it over there. I'm also curious about how the transition happened for, oh, I should probably tell you, All the Pouches and Image Comics podcast. That's a podcast that I do talking about everything from the early years of Image Comics. And that can be found on Twitter at All the Pouches or at my website, johnreadscomics.com. Um, and, you know, wherever podcasts are found. Right. I That's John curious. with no H. Right, because my parents couldn't afford it. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I laughed way too hard at that. If I've heard you say that before, <laughs> I forgot. Um. <laughs> there's a bit of a gap. Bet- there's a bit of a gap both between Sylvester leaving Uncanny and starting Wolverine and a gap between Sylvester leaving Uncanny and Jim Lee starting Uncanny. So both of those make me wonder exactly how that transition happened. Well, Why did he leave one and start the other? Yeah, I think maybe not the best coordination could have been an issue, but also both of those artists are fairly slow. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, especially Sylvester later, he's a little faster earlier in his career because he's kind of sketchy. But as he gets more into being the Mark Sylvester, he's kind of a superstar, um, definitely. And I, I'm sure you've seen that as you've seen Cyberforce not be super timely on your podcast for image um right. same thing with jim lee's books as well um so i mean i maybe they were supposed to start before they did or just needed that ramp up time to to make the transition you know get a couple of issues in the bag before they released they did you know that's pretty common i think where they're going to start a big run and you want to keep the artist consistent usually mm-hmm. do two or three issues before it actually comes out so they have a little bit of a backlog Kind of like uh, y'all do that with uh, Make Ours Marvel, right? Y'all kind of keep a yeah, yeah. We have a bit of a reserve. 
a, a padding between our recordings and our releases just in case it comes up, which right. might also help to explain why there are all these little bitty arcs like Lazarus Project and such. Um, yeah. Which, you know, over the last few months of Wolverine. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Kind of a, kind of just bridging that gap between um, when Claremont left and, and Hama and Silvestri start. Um, but yeah, so Wolverine 31 does the deed. It brings on the new team. This is a killing zone, beginning a new chapter in the life of the Berserker Mutant. And really play into that on this cover here. Um, it is, of course, a new era of greatness brought to you by writer Larry Hama, penciler Mark Silvestri, inker Dan Green, letterer Pat Brousseau, and colors by Glennis Oliver. And the cover is by Silvestri and Green. And um, one thing I noticed right off the bat, besides this being a pretty cool cover, is... Wolverine's always been drawn kind of hairy, I think, back to when John Byrne kind of did that. Mm-hmm. But Silvestri makes him a little more furry, um, especially on, like, on his forearms and his shoulders and stuff. And so I, that's a style choice that he carries through most of his run. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting, kind of a little subtle difference right off the bat. But anyway, we have a, a blue Wolverine standing on some heads. Um, we have Tiger Tiger. We have a guy that was kind of at the kingpin with a big spider tattoo on his face. And then we have some crazy guys on the bottom, uh, one with a bad haircut, and then two with uh, dice tattooed on their foreheads. What do you think yeah. of the cover, John? Um, it's pretty striking. Uh, and it's it's not just a random Wolverine pose to symbolically start the arc, which they could have done. So they're highlighting both... Uh, a character who's important to Wolverine's story who's being brought back in a big way in this issue, uh, a character who's very important to this arc, and the three characters at the bottom who are very important to the issue, and then the events of this issue have ramifications for Wolverine for the next couple issues after. So it's it's an interesting choice for all different stuff. Now, I, I had not read it as him standing. I had read it as him leaping forward. Oh, okay. So I, I think you're right, though. I think he is, like, standing, and we're, like, looking down. The camera's up above, and he's, like... Right. Knowing at the us. sky. Yeah, that's kind of yeah. how I took it. But he could definitely be leaping as well. If I move the comment towards my face, that's what it looks like. Really? <laughs> um, yeah, I, you know, it's definitely a very striking color from the, I'm sorry, cover from the color perspective. And then I think um, it's visually interesting. If you're going to have a cover that introduces new characters and there's not necessarily a costume, I think focusing on the interesting kind of badass-looking face tattoos helps mm-hmm. sell, like, oh, yeah, I want to see what that guy's about. You know, because they just wear kind of normal clothes, so there's not, like, a big, like, character design look. But I think the tattoos and the weird smiles kind of sells you on, okay, who's Wolverine going to fight here? Um, so pretty interesting. All right. Well, in this one, this one is a pretty dense comic, so... I'm going to have, even with my normal short, snappy synopsis, is going to be kind of long here. Um, <laughs> yeah, and but, uh, most of my notes come from this chapter, too. So yeah, it's, it's a pretty, yeah, it's a pretty yeah. thick part of the story. <laughs> Definitely. All right, so here's kind of the, the nuts and bolts of what we have going on here. Um, Patch is enjoying slash not enjoying a drink with Archie at the Princess Bar when the Yakuza come looking for him. They shoot up the bar, but Patch dies behind it. Then he dives back out with claws. 
Yakuza McSpider Face wants Madripoor monkeys to cure cancer for the rich. Well, maybe. You might have an ulterior motive as well. But, of course, even with his good motive, he wants to do it for a profit, of course. Um, and he has a deal with Prince General Koi and Tiger Tiger, who is now pretty much just Tiger, uh, with the Y spelling. Um, but he's worried about Patch. Patch's reputation precedes him. And the, the accuser are worried that if they don't take care of Patch, they won't be able to have a successful illicit business in Madripoor. So back at the Prince's Bar, Patch brings the house down, literally, but he gets shot for his trouble. The Yakuza then stab him to make sure he's dead, but that just wakes him up, and as he breaks the blade off in his chest, like just a total 90s badass, and pops his claws, um, and gets ready to fight. So back with the Madripoor bigwigs, Tiger objects to going after Patch, but, uh, Yakuza McSpiderface's name, who is Dai Kumo, I think. Um, I think that's how you would say that. Yeah. Um, assures her that it's already dealt with. And as Patch dispatches the thugs, um, Lieutenant Dragonhead 7 and 11 pop some lightning pills that look like uh, Lucky Charms marshmallows and <laughs> display their interconnecting dragon tattoo to their enemy. Uh, the big guys, 7 and 11, impale themselves intentionally on Wolverine's claws so Dragonhead can move in for the kill. But that doesn't work, you know, because it's Wolverine. Um, Archie and Tiger show up at the bar a little bit too late. After going toe-to-toe, Dragonhead pulls two grenade pins and tackles Wolverine into the water to blow them all up. Uh, but the sharks eat him... Uh, being Dragonhead, super quickly uh, blowing their heads off. Um, an exhausted Wolverine scares his friends on the dock as he climbs out of the water. Uh, Goro, who is Daikumo's right-hand man, figures he'll have to take care of Patch himself now. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so wonder... right off the bat, we have layered, detailed Larry Hama plotting just right out of the gate. Yeah. Um, first time I read this, I just feel like I could sink my teeth into it. Like, it's straightforward. There's, it's not that there's no mystery, but you're never, you're never left wondering what's going on. It's straightforward. It's, it's layered. There's several different tracks going on, but, you know, it's like a detailed story. It's a serial novel opening up here. Yep. It's pretty awesome. Um, I think it's uh, so. I'm gonna say this very kind of teasingly, but also in a very loving way. Um, you know, on page one, we we get uh, Larry Hama in full effect as he names drops kind of all the things he knows, <laughs> which is um, which is something that I remember very fondly from GI Joe, like very extensive detailed descriptions of like weapons and what they do and how they shoot and you know military maneuvers and strategies and and the people who are the best strategists in history and you know Larry Hama is and to be fair he is if you ever heard him talk just a wealth of information but he loves being very specific and pointing to the things that he knows about in his writing and he does that here you know in one page he quotes Robert Frost he talks about the taste of this whiskey. Um, 
you know, he, he instead of saying size 12 shoes, he, he lists a name brand that he's familiar with, size 12 Rogans. Um, and it's really interesting, kind of just the that immediate. Now, I'm not just going to say things and paint with a, a broad brush. I'm going to paint very specifically kind of the things that, that I like and enjoy, and, and I'm going to put those all in the story. So, like I said, kind of kind of will, will maybe give that a little hard time as we go through these issues, but I really do enjoy it. So it's a, it's a good-natured teasing. Yeah, I, I like your description that it, it it takes away the broad brush and gives you a very specific in, image because he could have show, he could have chosen the word boots and cho- instead he chooses the word brogans. If right. you know what that is, then you can you you have that extra detail. It reminds me of Ian Fleming a little bit. If if you've ever read any James Bond novels, he will. I haven't. Nah. He will choose very specific descriptions of things. Where if you know that model of sports car, then you know exactly exactly what's being driven. <laughs> right. And if okay. you don't, it's a sports car. You know. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're either um, you're either tempted to go do research, or you just you know substitute what your own knowledge is and, and move on. So right. Now I like that we start out in the princess bar in Madripoor. Um, Me too. This writer is going to take this book in some very unexpected directions. So I like that he's starting close to home. And this is like your classic solo Wolverine setup. Where he's right. Patch and the Princess Bar having a drink with Archie. Yeah, you know exactly where you are. Yeah. Yeah. And if I remember right, I could be wrong, but, you know, he kind of takes a page from the previous 30 issues and really uses Madripoor in general and the Princess Bar specifically as kind of the anchor for his different stories, kind of home base. Um, you know, everyone kind of needs to recenter his plots. It always kind of comes back to that. So, yeah, I think I do think it's really cool that he starts there in that kind of familiar territory and says, okay, now we can go wherever because I've set the stage. Um, one of the things that is very subtle in this story is the mixture of different Asian nationalities and different Asian language usages. Yeah, which yeah, yeah. It's really subtle, and if you don't know the details, then it's fine. It's, you know, you just read the story and enjoy it. But he does Chinese stuff in this, and he does Japanese stuff in this. Right. And an example of uh, the – because if I remember right, Madripoor is basically not Hong Kong, right? <laughs> right, yeah. Right, okay. Um, the guys who come up to Rough Wolverine in the beginning call him Rogan, which – Okay, so that I, is... I at first was like, what? You can't say that. But then he explained it, and I was okay. Because I, <laughs> I initially thought, and I'll, and I'll let you kind of finish your thought here in a second. I'm really sorry yeah, for interrupting. Fine. But um, I, I thought of that that really terribly racist kind of Asian dialect where people would make them say their L's as R's. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, oh no, you can't, you can't call him Rogan. That's not right. But then it's actually a real word. So I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> nice well, see, save. It's, in- <laughs> it's interesting because Japanese doesn't have an R sound or an L sound. It huh. has a sound that's like in between, and I can't even do it right. Um, but when you have somebody who speaks English and they're learning Japanese, or somebody who speaks Japanese and they're learning English. 
transitioning those sounds is difficult. So that stereotype is there because there is a lot of mispronunciation out there. But of course, if you're a respectful writer, you're not going to call people out on it. But a lot of... (laughs) A lot of Japanese words are sometimes written with R's and sometimes written with L's, depending upon the context. So it, it's the way it's used here. I don't think it's intended to be disrespectful because it does go right. on to define the words and give it some context. Yeah, it's a pretty cool meaning that it has that um, kind of applies to Wolverine. And the way uh, Patch kind of turns it around on him um, mm-hmm. is, is pretty cool. Um, I like that too. That, and that's how I know it was Japanese because I was like, oh, where does. Gone mean cancer, and I did some research, and that's Japanese. The only language, the only language in Asia that I have any knowledge of whatsoever, and it's a very small amount, is Japanese. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. So yeah, so ro meaning old age or dissipati- dissipation, and gone meaning cancer. And then this page where he looks over his shoulder, sorry, the panel where he looks over his shoulder and says, "Together they add up to death." If you're looking for death. You've come to the right place. The only thing that's <laughs> missing there is a bub. <laughs> right? Right here um, is a bub. But that is so, like, the looking over the shoulder, the kind of the sideways eye glance, and just inviting trouble, like that's just nailing Wolverine on the head. I love it. And um, I love I love Sylvester's close-up portrait of Wolverine in the bottom there. Yeah. Yeah, it's really nice. Uh, and it helps us Sylvester's had plenty of practice with Wolverine from his uncanny run. Mm-hmm. Um so he definitely has a very kind of familiar style to the character that he is able to draw on, which is uh, pretty awesome. So we go forward and, and the fight breaks out. Oh, does it? It's a pretty great fight. Um, and your classic kind of line of guns that you see in comics and movies a lot, where you, you see kind of the profile of just four or five guys just shooting in a straight line. Um and then, of course, the, uh, mm-hmm. the change in perspective where they spin the camera around and you see the bar all shot to help it, but Wolverine's missing. And then I love the detail of, like, you normally see, like, it's not that rare, it's not, like, uncommon or special or anything to see, like, the caskets of, of alcohol having been shot and dripping. But one but of them goes, pouring out on his head. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that. And, you know, I was really wondering because one of the things I talked about um, as we went through the Uncanny Run on the show, because, you know, by the late 90s, kind of all people remember about Sylvester is super sexy Sylvester, like with Witchblade and stuff. And that it kind of jarred my memory. And so reading the old Uncanny stuff, Seeing all the humor in his art was really, really refreshing. And I'm, I was wondering if that would stick to Wolverine or if that was where he kind of took a more serious turn. But I was glad to see kind of the humor uh, still in his art. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, and then um, in that same panel, you're already snickering because it's pouring on his head. And then Hama throws in a um, reference to the Long Island iced teas. <laughs> yeah. Wolverine loves his Long Island iced teas. It's 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 the most intense drink he knows. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, yeah. you don't understand. They have this one drink. <laughs> it's like uh, fancy trash can punch. <laughs> Wolverine and his Long Island iced teas is like Worf and his prune juice. It's a warrior's drink. That's funny. But then we can go from funny straight to just awesome because this guy leans over the bar to look for 
patch, and he just puts his fist up to the bar and snicks through it, mm-hmm. and says, right you are, and we get above this time, and the guy just is stabbed and stuck to the bar, and that's that's pretty rad. I mean, that's just badass 90s Wolverine right there. So remember when I was tweeting at you a few months ago about an Anne Nascenti run I was reading and talking about how Wolverine doesn't kill? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's a Marvel Comics Presents story, and it might be the one with Typhoid Mary in it, because that's an Ascenti character. And yeah. he was talking about how he doesn't kill, and I'm like, what? Wait a minute. <laughs> have I just have I just missed something? And I'm reading this, and he's, like, stabbing people. And yeah, yeah. No, it's funny, because for a long time, he didn't kill on page. Um, it's really funny, because uh, one of the things I was going to do with the podcast is I started a spreadsheet. And I was going to track Wolverine, like have a kill log for Wolverine. And it was zero, zero, zero for like a decade. Zero, zero. Uh, three Hellfire guys off page. Okay, I guess I can count those. And then they come back, so you have to uncount them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then zero, zero, zero. And then the Claremont Miller miniseries comes out. It's like and 75 it, people. Yeah, and it goes from zero to I can't even count this, so I just scrapped the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. And then ever since then, yeah, he just kills people left and right. I mean, he always talks about not wanting to and not being his preference, but no. I mean, when he's in a scrap and he knows the guys are bad guys, he has no problem. Well, uh, I, did, I did the same thing. I kept a kill count for one of my podcasts. I don't know. You and I weren't friends. When I was making it, so I don't know if you know that I had it. But a while back, I had a Golden Age Superman podcast. Yeah, yeah. I kept a kill count on that. Interesting. And, um, yeah, I. Is that I had your, to. Is that your exhibit that? A for all the people that say Superman never kills anybody? <laughs> and you go, oh, well, wait. <laughs> Superman never kills except for all the times that he does. Right. Um, <laughs> so the thing is, is that I I was only counting individual identifiable deaths because I couldn't count where he takes down a dirigible full of people or blows up a munitions factory full of workers. Right. I, there's no number there. I have no idea how many people are in that. So I can't actually count that (laughs) in my kill count. But as far as like identifiable deaths in his first two years, he had like 30 plus kills. Wow. Yeah. I, I knew that he doesn't kill thing was wrong. I, that number is higher than I thought it would be, though. That's interesting. Yeah, it was it was pretty high. Um, <laughs> and I mean, even when he started saying I have a I have a no kill code, which started out with the Superboy stuff, he would still only use that code if it was important to the plot. <laughs> and the next issue, he would kill somebody. I mean, it's Superman not killing is one of the biggest myths. In comics. That's funny. Anyways, this is not the Superman yeah. podcast. <laughs> no, but speaking of Superman, Wolverine pretty much does fly back over the counter with his claws out. That's a great panel. That is fantastic. I love it. And that's when we meet Daikumo. Yeah, right after we see the screaming monkey, which is kind of disturbing. Um, it's a really great panel, and the monkey is like really, really wide jaws. And you don't even realize there's a syringe in the back of his head at first. Right. Yeah, yeah, um, and the way that they pace that out, or the like, the wide shot of the castle, like from far away, and then your first interior shot is like you can you can kind of see this if it was being filmed, which mm-hmm. is something Sylvester is really good at. Um, 
But yeah, so we meet we meet Dicomo and uh, his doctor uh, Mailer. Is that his name? Something yeah, like. I just kind of glossed over that name every time. It's something French. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's uh, giving a presentation uh, for this this monkey brain thing, which of course I thought of a, a Temple of Doom when they have the big dinner and the the guy opens up the monkey skull. <laughs> right. But um, I was thinking of the. Um, did you ever see Clue? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Monkey's brains as a recipe, and it's like, is that what we ate? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> What's crazy to me is they don't kill the monkeys before they take the brain fluids. They extract the hypothalamic fluid from the spider monkey brains while they're alive, and that process kills them. And it's just like, oh my gosh. Yeah, and they don't say, like, I mean, I guess you could write in that, well, if we killed them, the, the, the fluid would be tainted or wouldn't, like we need it. I don't know. I don't even really know how that works. I well, what we, get it, what we get is we get a complete disregard. So they're just monkeys. They're beasts. Right. Right, right. Yeah. Um, side note, Daikomo, also Japanese, means big spider. Oh. Well, what a coincidence. Because he has a big spider on his face. He does, in <laughs> fact, have a big spider on his face. That's <laughs> eating his nose. And so yeah. I got little, little, the little biters like on both sides of his not or in the bridge of his nose. Um, yeah, you know, you see guys like that, and you like, you have to assume they're a certain amount of tough because that tattoo looks very painful. Yes, <laughs> it's probably not just magic marker that he redoes everything. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, it could be. Right. Yeah, I guess not. you never know. Um, <laughs> so then when we go back to the fight I really love The red coloring As Wolverine loses his mind um, And then that, that red face With like the fangs out And then everything's kind of in a red hue As he goes through his berserker rage I, I really like that a lot And the colors change immediately When he gets shot and falls unconscious You have the bright white and yellow With the gun flash and then the gray is he kind of blacks out. I, I thought Oliver's color work on like page 11 and 12 there, that sequence is really, really cool and really um, emotional to the story. One thing that stood out with me in the sequence is the very first caption. I should hate myself when I get like this. Yes. Yep. And, and there's never, but I like it. And there's never any, but this is why I doubt. It's just... It's just there. It's just hanging over the entire narration. I should hate this. Right. But this is how I am. This is how things are. Yeah, and that that one sentence kind of summarizes the whole struggle of Wolverine kind of trying to balance between the samurai and the beast. Um, yeah, Hama, Hama really does really good stuff with Wolverine trying to figure out how to be what he wants to be. Um, I'm looking forward to, to seeing that in, in long form, but that's just a nice little snippet. Um, you know, he gets, he gets hit with a chair. There's a pile of bodies. Um, you know, it's interesting that, and he has no, I guess because everyone that he plans on leaving alive is gone, but you know, there's no pretense of, well, Patch isn't supposed to have claws. No, oh, who cares? <laughs> he's he's <laughs> berserk, and the claws are out, and these guys are going to die. Um. Right, right. And then, like, like, it's like he falls over, not dead, 
And we catch up with, is that Archie for a brief moment? Yep, yep, just for a minute. He's at, out in the Madripoor rain, um, calls Tiger's maid who doesn't want to talk to him. <laughs> right. And then, uh, man, this scene of, of Wolverine getting stabbed and breaking the blade off in his stomach mm-hmm. uh, is pretty hardcore. <laughs> like moving, moving his muscles and bones to snap the blade and then yeah. pulling it out the front, that is intense. Yeah, and then he throws a severed blade into a guy. Um, then you get the classic Wolverine with the, the claws out and the hands crossed in the X under his face. He's um, an iconic Wolverine pose there, and, and Sylvester does does a wonderful job with it. Um, I feel like the um, the healing factor is is on pretty intense you know level right now. It I, he's He's taking a beat and then he keeps on going. Like he was, he was on his face from getting shot, right? But the pain from getting stabbed doesn't put him under more. Like wakes him up. Yeah. And I love the narration. I can feel the bullets scraping my bones as my well, body tries to expel them. Yeah. So we don't see that artistically, but this is the first ever mention of his healing factor, kind of pushing bullets out. Uh, he's always healed from bullets, but it's always just kind of been a vague, generic, well, I got shot, but now I'm better. Um, mm-hmm. And, of course, by the time the movies come around, you know, this is a very popular way of showing Wolverine's healing factors. He gets shot, and then the bullet kind of pops out of his skin. Um, but this is the first time that's ever referenced as the healing factor actually pushing the bullets out of his body, um, which I thought was really cool and was excited to see it. Uh, you know, pop his head here. I thought that was really, really interesting. Because, I mean, it makes sense, right? I mean, the the healing factor would attack the bullet, kind of like a foreign body, um, and do what it needs to to get rid of it. Um, yeah, and as the tissues knit, like, under the bullet, that should, you know, nudge the bullet on its way out. Right. I guess it could just as likely knit around the bullet and, like, trap it in there, but no. That would hurt. <laughs> then you have bullets all over the place. <laughs> You know, right. he always had to just cut him back out himself anyway. So I like the idea that, that for his own convenience, that his body just gets rid of it. Right. <laughs> but then the also the extra detail of, you know, Hama hitting the senses, right? It's not just that it kicks the bullets out, but that he feels it rubbing a, across his bones. It's really intense. Um, yeah, that's pretty visceral. <laughs> yeah. Um. And yeah, the guys are all like the the guys around are just trying to figure Wolverine out. I, I saw I saw him that time. He jumped up through the hole in the ceiling. He's slowing down. It is possible to hurt him. Like we can do this, guys. We just gotta <laughs> right. Come <Kept> on. on. <laughs> but then Red Wolverine jumps out of the ceiling, and that's about it for those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So uh, we have the classic Daikumo Dai has the Wolverine thing where he can't decide if he's smoking cigars or cigarettes. Um, I just noticed that. Um, because in the monkey scene, he had a cigar, but now he's got a cigarette here in the uh, the scene where he's arguing with Tiger. Um, but yeah, why don't you uh, you have anything before we get to the uh, the dragon tattoos? There was I ha- I have a note here, but I miswrote the page. I'm trying to figure out where Uh-oh. I wrote it down for. Um, Yarg. I was going to make a joke because the prince is in a mood. And um, I, was, I, 
I made a joke referring to like the time they they brought his two favorite singers that made him friendly. Oh, Remember right. when uh, Lila, I think it was Lila and Dazzler show up and he's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, sweet. Yeah, whatever y'all need. Let's just go hang out for a while. I love your music. Right. But I forget which panel I, I fed off of for that. I can't. I wrote yeah, down maybe the where they're talking about the deal because Tiger Kaiden calls him out as being a wuss um, or a doormat for the Yakuza. He's like, well, you watch your pretty little tongue because arrangements have been made. Um, yeah, that might have been. It. I was like, yeah. Well, what, what if, what if we brought your favorite singers again, Your Highness? Would that, would that do right? <laughs> right. Um. But yeah, this is this was a really solid issue. And the only other thing I had is um, when he's fighting the the three guys at the end, the three Ryu Dragon guys. Mm-hmm. Um, they're fighting. And he pulls one close and says, you made a real big mistake, bub, getting this close to me. And the next page, all those guys are dead. Yeah. And I was like, that's a really effective use of not showing the violence on that one. Yeah, it was. It was. And, you know, Wolverine was not impressed by the dragon tattoos, but I was impressed by the art. (laughs) I thought it was really cool the way they all connected. Um, And, you know, convenient that the guy who had the head on his back was Dragon Head. That was his name. So, luckily, he got a matching tattoo. Um, Yeah, just the idea that these guys are like, well, we're going to let you stab us. Our other guy can stab you and just all backfires and is, is pretty cool. Um, the shark thing was a little weird, um, but, you know, it's fine. <laughs> it kind of reminded me of uh, the 60s Batman movie where they throw the bomb in the water. Um, but Yeah, this is, uh, this is definitely a solid, solid opener. Yep. Um, it has all his insane detail and... Uh, look how much I know, but also his insanely detailed and layered plotting, which I love. And the art's really good. The colors are good. Um, it's a great kickoff to a, a long run. Um, I feel like I do this every time you come on. I don't do this all the time. but um, <laughs> So I rank these all the same, so we can talk about them as we go, or we can wait and do it at the end. It's whatever. I can give this whole this whole story one one single rating. Hey, right, cool. We'll just save it for the end then. All right. So why don't you take us into number thirty-two? So Wolverine thirty-two. Uh, this is coming out on August fourteenth, nineteen ninety. Cover date of October. Uh, it's alongside Uncanny X Men two hundred sixty-nine. So the Extinction Agenda is right around the corner, which you're probably getting excited for. Yeah. The it's cover is by Mark Silvestri and <clears throat> let me make sure I get this right. Excuse me. <clears throat> Dan Green. Ah, perfect. <laughs> and it shows Wolverine against the blade of the Yakuza as he fights with Goro with a sword through his chest. And we are promised a totally surreal visit from Jean Grey, which is not untrue, but seems a little disingenuous to promise it on the cover because of what it ends up being. <laughs> right. But um, but yeah, this is I like this cover. It's not as maybe as intense as the first one, but it definitely does well for the story. Yep. And I think this is a good place to point out because I forgot to mention it last issue. Whenever we talk about Sylvester's Wolverine, that his claw style is my favorite. Yeah, this is what Wolverine's claws are in my head. Yeah. Yep. Like like little blades. Yeah, it's a pretty great cover. 
Uh, his uh, his right knee fins are missing. I guess they got torn off in the fight. Oh yeah. Huh. Actually, most of his boots missing, according to the colors. <laughs> oh yeah, he might have just lost his boot or the top <laughs> part of his boot. He's he's got a sock on. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he lost his shirt. He might as well lose a boot, right? Right. So this issue is called Terminal Trauma. We have uh, pretty much all the same credits. Yep, everyone's the same. Yeah, you think you can call it Hama Trauma? <laughs> Terminal Hama. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we open with Wolverine having a nightmare about fighting the three dragon guys from last issue and waking to find Archie and Tiger have been tending his wounds. They love their Wolverine. They want to make sure he gets all better. In the central highlands of Madripoor, we see Dai Kumal and his lieutenants mass murdering some spider monkeys with the reluctant and confused assistance of a man who appears to be native to the jungle in that area. He doesn't understand why they're killing all the monkeys, because if you kill all of them, there won't be any later. But these guys don't care about conserving monkey resources because there's drug money to be made from spider monkey brain juices. And um, while all this is going on, Daikomo receives a call from Goro and Reiko reporting that Wolverine is somehow still alive. And Daikomo is disappointed in Goro's failure and demands proof of Wolverine's death. Con- conveniently, Wolverine is being left alone to be killed. Um Archie wants to go check on the bar, and Tiger Tiger wants to look into any leads on Dai Kamal. So they leave bodyguards, but when Goro attacks, he and Reiko make short work of them. Wolverine hears the scuffle outside his room and puts his ear to the door to get a feel for what he's up against. And that's when Goro stabs his sword through the door, impaling Wolverine through his chest, like on the cover. So Logan bursts through the door like he's about to attack, but he collapses on the ground instead. Uh, Goro gets a Polaroid of Wolverine's apparent corpse and leaves him there like a super smart man. This definitely (laughs) is a dead person you should leave lying on the ground. Logan has a vision of Jean Grey coming down from space and telling him that the delicious death warmness will be waiting for him later. It's probably not a euphemism. Um, But for now, he needs to pull out the sword from his chest and keep on going and fighting the fight and living the life and all those other Wolverine things. So he does. And that's when his friends decide to get back. Hey, that's convenient. We get a scene of Dai Kamo talking to his chief scientist about the Thunderbolt drug they're extracting from the hypothalamic fluids of the spider monkey brains. Say that five times fast and press your friends on Friday nights. (laughs) There's some exposition on how they're getting away with it because they made the prince think they're curing cancer, but instead they're creating a potent but lethal rapture drug. And Goro and Reiko arrive to show Daikomo the picture of dead Wolverine, and the gang lord is satisfied, so they decide to go back to Japan. In our last scene, Tiger Tiger has learned of a warehouse where Daikomo was working, so she takes Logan there, but they arrive to find piles of spider monkey corpses. And that one guy from the jungle who's in town now, he's aghast at the needless death. He tells Logan where everybody went. So now Logan is hot on Daikomo's trail to Japan. Yes, sir. I love this first page. Yeah. I really like the art on the first page. I'm a bit confused why these three guys have left such a mark on him when he made such short work of them last issue. (laughs) Right. 
Um, I guess because it's the, who he saw last when he passed out. I don't know. Or maybe he was more impressed by the tattoo than he said. Yeah, because I think he's going to dream about them some more next issue. So these he's going <laughs> to stick around in his subconscious for a while. Um, I do like that he says he's going to carve them up like sushi. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Um, they do talk about his healing factor on page three. I, which I kind of yeah. I made a note that I miss the hardworking healing factor. Mm-hmm. I really do. I, I don't love the lightning fast bounce back from everything right away. I like that, that it definitely works, right? It definitely heals. He can bounce back from anything, but sometimes it takes a long time depending on the extent of the injuries. It's, I, I, I wish writers would go back to that. I, maybe it's too late at this point to kind of back the car that far up, but I, I really do miss kind of that working class healing factors that he had for a long time. Yeah, it reminds me of, um, I don't know how much uh, Superman or Supergirl comics you read, but in the early 2010s, uh, when they were revamping everything at DC, the new Supergirl, her first encounter with Kryptonite, had her on her ass for yeah, a while, I that. recovering yeah. from it. Like, it didn't just, oh, it's gone, I'm better now. She, like, had to get it out of her system. Yeah, that was a really interesting kind of way to present that. But, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, there's, they're really brutal to the spider monkeys. And yeah, they are. I mean, it's weird because I think because of the bad guys, there's kind of um, an assumed this is terrible thing, but there's really no direct critique or even kind of, I don't know. It's weird that it's just kind of, it's obviously bad, but it's not really implicitly stated that it's terrible to kill all the monkeys. Um, <laughs> so that was kind of odd. But I, I read it a little bit differently. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I'm kind of torn on the native guy's presence in the story because of just the way he's depicted. I don't know if that's, I mean, that's a very specific kind of depiction there. But I feel like his voice is there to represent the fact that, um, okay, yeah. We're humans, so we do prey on our environment. That's how we live. But if you kill all the monkeys, there won't be more monkeys later. And it's just like, but he can't do anything to stop them either because he's just one guy. And these are, you know, a bunch of guys with guns and everything else. So I think him being there and voicing that is, it's not what the story's about, but the point gets made, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I kind of joked about Patch letting the claws out. Is that, is that why they know he's Wolverine when they're looking at him through the binoculars? Because he says the problem is named Wolverine and he's still alive. And previously they just referred to him as Patch and everyone's like, Patch, Patch, Patch. Um, so, I mean, in, in head canon, you can just say they connected the dots, but I just thought that was an interesting kind of change. In vocabulary, um, that he was like, "Oh, it, our problem is Wolverine, and he's still alive." Um, I'm looking back in the previous issue. Was Goro even in? Goro Not was there. The very end. Okay. Right. He and he and he and Reiko Reiko. come into the warehouse where everybody's dead. Right. All right. So they may have seen the fighting with the claws. Okay. They may have seen that from a distance. No, you know, you know what I'm looking at here. That's not 
that's not Goro and that's a miscolored Archie coming in there. Yeah, no, they uh, you see Goro in the car. They right. see they see them walk away and they're in like their Porsche or whatever that is. And they're like, he's alive. And you told Daikumo he was dead. And he's like, he will be. I'll take care of him myself. Um, How do they make the connection? This is Wolverine. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. I don't know either. Unless they've just been, they've been monitoring for a while. I don't know. Right. I mean, and it could just be um, kind of passed on knowledge. I mean, Wolverine has fought the Yakuza before. So they may know him more as an enemy of Wolverine. And so when, you know, kind of the report got out that there's claws slashing us up, it must be, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you can kind of get your way there. I just thought it was an interesting choice at this point in the story to make that switch. You know what it could be? You know what it yeah. could be? Whenever, whenever Dragonhead and the uh, Dice-Headed Boys faced him in the bar... They said, sometimes you're known as Patch, sometimes you're known as Logan. He was wearing the patch then. Now he's not wearing the patch. The disguise is off. <laughs> the disguise is off. And so with that patch Clark missing. Clark Kent took off the glasses. <laughs> right? Right? Now, now Goro's oh, looking up at oh, him. He's like, Wolverine. <laughs> Frog and A, this is Wolverine up here. Shoot. That's funny. I think you're exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Either way, uh, you know, we talk about the, the humor in the art. Um, page 11 has two really nice gags um, where his cigar smoke comes out through his chest wounds. <laughs> <laughs> and that is definitely a cigar, by the way. I don't know. Yes. Yeah, that one is for nice. sure. Uh, Sylvester moves into pretty straight cigar territory. Um, in a couple of storylines, we have the very famous slash infamous cover of Wolverine with a big machine gun, and he's got a big like Clint Eastwood cigar um, in his mouth um, at that point. Um, there's also the gag with the elevators um, as they're leaving and coming at the same time. Um, so. I honestly just now got what was going on with those elevators because I was a little bit confused. I thought it was like four panels. Oh, but no, it's two panels yeah. of pair of elevators. Yeah, yeah, yeah that makes so much more sense. <laughs> so as as Tiger and Archie leave, uh, Goro and Raiko come in, um, and they're the, the bodyguards are the roughest, the roughest around, but not for long. Yep. Um, oh, I skipped something, and maybe it is or isn't worth mentioning, but um, it's, it's kind of the first in a line of Goro being really creepy to Raiko, um, where he talks about, you know how I get um, after I kill, and, and I don't know, there's just something kind of almost rapey feeling about Goro that really makes you want to see him get his. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah there's... There's something between them two that's it's sort of understated throughout because she does not want to be with him. No, not at all. Um, so then the idea that he's going to 
kind of get what he wants later just makes it all the the worse um yeah she even says you don't own my soul i may belong to you but i don't have to pretend that i like anything about you it right. does sound very very sexual and rapey yeah so it just kind of adds to the well let's get him killed off <laughs> yeah, yeah he, he he can go he can go dine a fire yeah <laughs> Oh, speaking of which, he does mention several times this issue and next issue that he went to like some like seer and she like foretold that he would be killed by a dead man wielding a sword. And so like he's going through all of these situations like I didn't die. I knew I wouldn't die because I'm going to be killed by a dead man wielding a sword. And it's really funny whenever that other shoe completely fails to drop on that. It is. uh, But also I really misread it. Because since since I'm wrong, I'll tell you what my prediction was. Because um, it was the blade of a dead man. Obviously, Wolverine's claws are like blades. So I kind of think it didn't have to be a sword. But also, you know, Wolverine is presumed dead at this point. You know, still mm-hmm. invisible to technology. I thought that was going to be like the... Because whenever you have like a prophecy in the comics or movies and... It does pay off, but this one doesn't. But if it does, there's always like that loophole that that they get around. And so I thought Wolverine's presumed death was going to be the loophole, but I was way off. So kudos to Hama for not following trope there. Yeah, and your those prophecies almost always do come yeah. to pass. Right. They, if if you mention the prophecy, it's almost always some way it's <laughs> going to get fulfilled. And this guy. He got a prophecy, and he's really proud of it. And it was must it must have been like a dime store, you know, street vendor <laughs> prophecy or something. That one lady over on Fifth Street, you know, she will tell you whatever you want to know. Right. <laughs> um, but oh, anyways. we missed the uh, the switchblade snickety snack. Oh yeah, yeah, that was good. Okay, so whenever Wolverine falls over with the sword in his chest. They just take a Polaroid and then they leave. And like the entire first issue, they were talking about getting his head. We got to take his head back to die. Come on, let's get his head. Okay. I'm going to get his head. No, let's go for his head. And here she's like, Polaroid, you know, wrapped it in the air a few times. They do address it a few pages later um, that, you know, at least they mention that he specifically decided not to get his head because it would have been awkward to carry a head through the city. But um, but at the time that it happened, I was like, why, why, why are you taking his head? That's what you wanted, right? Right. And even if that wasn't kind of the presumed direction and the instruction he was given, they were at the end of last issue where they saw Wolverine go in the water, stuff blow up, and him crawl out. Like they know he's hard to kill, so it just seems like they would try a little harder to... To make sure he was actually dead and staying dead. I mean, they don't even like check a pulse or anything. <laughs> no. And like, yeah, like you just said, he's proven hard to kill so far. But, you know, whatever. He's he's dead. He has a sword in him. He looks dead. I mean, I would think he was dead if he had a sword in him. So yeah. why not? Yep. Um, right before that, there is an awesome snick I want to mention since, you know, it is the title of the podcast. Um that that red snake with the yellow kind of flash and the pink claws is pretty awesome. I do like that. I do like that. He's uh, he hears something going on outside, and of course 
You know, you can picture Wolverine just kind of laying there on the bed with his cigar smoke coming out of his chest. <laughs> and he hears a ruckus outside and you know, he perks his ears up, sniffs a little bit, and then, you know, jumps out of bed and snicks. It's, it's right. <laughs> yep. Oh, and then he gets his surreal visit from Jean Grey. What even um, is this? I don't know. I think it means that Hom is as going much to as he talks about Mariko. Mariko. Right. I, I think Hom is going to ignore her. <laughs> and maybe the one, the one uh, black spot on Hama's run is that she kind of gets pushed out of the picture. Um, at least initially, she may come back way later. I'm not. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, Jean's not my favorite Wolverine ship, but that's fine. Um, she's there to guide him back to to consciousness. So, so he does. He pulls the Yakuza sword out of his chest, and Archie recognizes it's the Yakuza sword. So go Archie, knowing your your swords. Um, and then I guess they've 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 killed all the monkeys and they've taken all the monkey brain juice. Yeah, I did think it was interesting um, when he pulls the sword out. The way they draw that, um, it's kind of a oh shoot, what's the word when samurais seppuku? Yeah, it's like seppuku in reverse, um, mm-hmm. and kind of tying into Wolverine samurai imagery. Uh, the way he's kneeling, the way he kneels up when he pulls it out, um, just kind of an interesting visual. Um, man, uh, uh, Spider Face, he, he's got a mean laugh. He's got a wet mouth. Yeah, that's a, <laughs> and I love that they took the second to be gross with that. You know, right? Yeah, it's like I mean, obviously that happens all the time. You're here with people, someone opens their mouth, and there's like you know slobber lines inside. That's perfectly normal human activity. But to like emphasize that in your art adds a grossness. Yeah, that <laughs> I kind I kind of love. And he has a really really excellent point here. People take deadly stuff into their bodies all the freaking time i'm sitting here with a pepsi in one hand and a coffee in the other <laughs> you know i'm drinking stuff that's bad for me i will die <laughs> well yeah but i think there's a difference though between like the stuff that could kill you over time if you don't treat it right versus oh people die at the first time they do this like I'm yeah. not gonna I'm not gonna keep drinking Coke if people die every time they drink it. <laughs> right. Like if if I might have a stroke, you know, when I'm ninety or whatever, you know, fine, but <laughs> it's a different level of risk um with controlled substances, I guess. And it's one of those things where like, you know I have a I have a pretty liberal attitude towards, you know, chemical use. But you know, there are those things that, like, they tell you you'll be addicted after one try and your body will need it and crave it. Right. And I'm just like, yeah, those are the things I'm not going to touch. <laughs> right. Those are things I have absolutely, you know, my curiosity and the experience and my desire to actually have control over my life, you know, the, there's no contest between those two. <laughs> <laughs> right. I do not want to be a raving addict. So Goro and Reiko show the Polaroid to Daikumo and, um, you know, I, random thought here, just on a side note here. I'm on the page where they're handing the Polaroid and they just mentioned, will this suffice Daikumo-sama? And there's no asterisk explaining the the honorific on the end. And 
I kind of dig that. Like, they're just it's just part of their language and part of how they talk. You don't really right. have to know. But also, like, having that explained to me at one point in a thing that I read as a child is how I know what it means. So I kind of wish it were there, but I also kind of dig that it's just, like, naturalized into the dialogue. So I'm right. of two minds on it. Yeah, I can see that. It, it kind of is uh, how much do you explain and how much do you just assume that is, like you said, kind of natural and normal. Um, right. Is it yeah. like the bro? It's like the Brogans, where if you know what it is, you do, and if you don't know what it is, you don't really need to. <laughs> Why is Native Dude in the factory? I don't know. It's like he's in shock. Like they took him there, showed him the monkeys, and he just can't leave or something. Uh, it's it's interesting. I don't know if it's good, it's interesting or bad, interesting, but it's interesting. <laughs> and then he smells Wolverine. I, I like the kind of the the parallel sniffs because Wolverine gets out of the car. <laughs> Sniff, sniff, and then the native is talking to Wolverine. You're not like them. You are a forest creature, a wild thing. Da, na, da, na. You make my heart <laughs> sing. <laughs> you make everything, Logan. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I like the purpose he serves in the story. I'm just kind of wondering about, like, did he accompany them when they brought the spider monkeys over? Did he does, why, does he come yeah. to Madripoor the city anyway? What is I don't know. Right. Was he just curious? Did he not? Was he worried about what they're going to do to the monkeys? But obviously couldn't stop it. I mean, yeah, yeah. Maybe just one or two sentences about his motivation may have may have helped out a little bit. But but there are a lot of dead monkeys, and we learn in the next issue oh, that they have killed all of them. The species all is not them. extinct. My gosh, Madripoor spider monkeys are kaput. Mm -hmm. So, anything else on 32? No, I'm good, if you are. Yeah, I'm ready to move on to 33. All right. 33, I believe, is the exact same creative team. Yes, it is. This is Grave Undertakings. Um, pun on Grave. Um, an interesting cover uh, by Mark Silvestri and Dan Green. Uh, I, I did not have the enthusiasm it needed. Sorry. Um, <coughs> by Mark Silvestri and Dan Green on the cover of Wolverine's hand, punching through what is probably ground in the cemetery with his claws out and his fingers gnarled and desperate. Um, it's a pretty great cover. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this one will probably be the episode image. Um, <laughs> but is it yeah, the, new, so, the new Twitter profile pic? Yeah, probably. <laughs> so, um, all right, number thirty-three. Basically, that um, Tiger and Archie and Wolverine have a plan, and that plan is to sneak Patch into Japan in a coffin um, using Tiger's coma potion. But the Yakuza have customs in their pocket. And Daikumo shows up to claim the body of an honorable enemy to bury in his estate. So Logan wakes up six feet under and snicks his way out of the coffin and out of the ground. He frightens Raiko, who was there lamenting that he didn't, didn't kill Goro earlier. Uh, she was really hoping when they stormed the apartment that Wolverine would pop his claws and, and help her have a better life. Um, and uh, after all, that's what it promised on the cover. True, yeah. <laughs> and uh and then so uh Wolverine crashes though uh, he's exhausted from 
clawing out of the coffin. Um, oh, no, wait. Sorry. He crashed. I completely misread the punctuation of my note. Um, Wolverine crashes Daikumo's party. Um, the chemist tries to joker drop him in a vat of thunderbolt acid, but Wolverine takes him with him and then cl- cuts his way out with his claws. Goro pops a pill for their climactic duel. Wolverine slashes him and leaves him to die, not fulfilling the prophecy in, in a very kind of humorous way. Um, he then circles back for Daikumo, but Reiko, or Reiko has already killed him and escaped. So he gets his things and flies back to Madripoor with Archie and Tiger, having permanently stopped where no one could pick up the monkey brain drug trade. That's kind of yeah. left dangling, but everything else is pretty good. <laughs> well, he did empty the entire vat. True, true. Oh, yeah, that's right. And because Daikimo had mentioned earlier that he had all of it because the monkeys were extinct and they sucked it all out of the dead monkeys. So those bodies, those carcasses were useless. So every ounce of brunky, monkey brain juice was in this one vat, you know, because. Definitely put all your monkey brain eggs in one basket. That's what I do. Yeah. <laughs> At Easter time, you got to uh, right. <laughs> hard boil and, and color those monkey brain eggs. Oh, man. This yeah. is a pretty great conclusion. Um, really, really dug a lot of this. The opening threw me for a loop for a minute because I knew that he was, you know, kind of torn up from the fight. But, right, like he seemed all better at the end whenever they went to the warehouse, and then I was like, okay, so what about his healing factor? How is his? How are his wounds staying open? Because they're commenting on how how torn up he is, and they don't specifically address that aspect of it. But I'm headcanoning that the the curare drug that they took to slow down his body functions slow down his healing factor as well. Yeah, yeah, that, that's definitely the good headcanon there. The other thing, and that's not what's happening, then they're just basing a lot of assumption on his tore-up clothes. Right. <laughs> Man, we never get any corpses in here that have torn-up clothes. <laughs> Everybody who comes in here looks pretty healthy. Right. I mean, dead, but Don't otherwise... Don't they dress these good. guys up first? <laughs> Where's the mortician? Ah, that mortician's fired. <laughs> these clothes look like crap. <laughs> Oh, goodness. I gotta love the 90s fashion on the Daikumo and Goro there with his almost Z Cavaricci pants, <laughs> his uh, little <laughs> leather trench coat. Um, but yeah. Yeah, that was interesting that the Daikumo's like, because his underlings don't necessarily agree with him. And he's like, no, this was a good enemy. Uh, he gave us a lot of trouble, so we're going to bury him in my place. Yeah. Tell someone about, about backyard. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, that was an interesting choice, although I, I kind of dig it on Daikumo's part. And in, in the last issue, we made fun of the laughing scene. But in this issue, he is so stoic throughout. Like, right. he is the most give no frogs dude. <laughs> and I love it. He's You called it earlier when you, he's like he's like a Japanese kingpin with a spider on his face. Right. Yeah. And uh, I commented how we get more from Goro about the whole only killed by a dead man thing. Right. Is that where his scar came from? 
uh, by killing the seer who gave him the prophecy? Yeah. Could be, because he says he killed him. They don't even really say where his, he just has this scar, like this big honking slash mark across his face that is never explained. I like to think that Reiko gave it to him one night whenever he was, she shivered oh. back and she scarred his face. I like that. That makes her better, or, or not better, but gives her more um, fight back. I like that. Yep. Um, it's interesting that like Tiger, Tiger, and Archie have pretty free reign in this story. The fact that they're smuggling in dead Logan doesn't. I mean, like they're just able to do it, and they they get their plan, and it works. Right. Well, I mean, it doesn't really work because they were hoping to go like accompany his body into the country, and they're forced to leave. Um, right. But. Yeah, it's interesting. There's kind of the... It's almost... And they don't say this, so you kind of have to say it yourself, but... Because obviously Daikumo doesn't necessarily trust Tiger and doesn't really like her, but also maybe doesn't want to have just all-out war in Madripoor, so he kind of gives her some allowances, but letting her know he's not happy with her is an interesting kind of balance that... If this was more than three issues, maybe it could have been explored a little more and been pretty cool. But, but I think, it, I mean, it suffices what we get, I think. Yeah, I think we've gotten, yeah. if, if you're a regular reader, you've gotten enough of the really tense detente that goes on between the different factions right. in Madripoor. Um, I don't have a whole lot of notes on this. I did think it was interesting that Reiko drops a flower on Wolverine's coffin before they bury him. And then where he wakes up, he smells there's a flower. Right. And rocks. And then he digs his way out. And when he's back on the soil, he sees a flower on the ground. And she's like, yeah, I left that flower. And I was kind of like, wait a second. Is this the same flower on the grass up here that was down there on the coffin? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, they smell the same. So he smells the flower in her hair. And then the flower that he knocked over, I think, is what you're supposed to think, is that the flower on the ground that he pocks with his claw, I think, was the one from his coffin, I think. Maybe I'm assuming too much there, but... Well, it seems like it would have to be, or or would very likely be, but it's like, how did that flower get so undisturbed back into the grass level? Right. Where we'd have to, you know, fight his way through the... Also, my, my imagination spent a few minutes on the whole idea of, like, clawing your way out of the coffin and digging your way up to the soil and what would have to be involved with that. And right. Because his claws are sharp, but they're not shovels. <laughs> you know what I no. mean? Like he still yeah. has to like use his fingers and get dirt under his nails and like he can cut through the dirt. His claws can slice and do anything, but they can't necessarily move the dirt. Um right. I do think like I, I've enjoyed the art through all of this. I think 11, 12, and 13, which would be the scenes of him waking up in the coffin, digging out, and then ending on his face in the rain when after he smells a flower, are the highlight of this three-part story artistically. Um, and that's, you know, that's why saying I like this awesome milkshake a little bit more than that other awesome milkshake. But It's I a just, really, really good milkshake. Yeah, it is, it is. And those are great pages. The colors are awesome um especially that red moon behind wolverine's head in the purple sky and mm-hmm. i don't know just everything about those three pages is just like spot on perfect it's like perfection um and i love it 
including the awesome Snicked in the inside the coffin, which is really cool. And I don't know if we've seen it before, but we do see uh, Reiko's like umbrella sword or something. We did. We saw it in the apartment because she was going to use it and didn't get to on the bodyguards. And so okay. we do see it twice, which will, will come into play because that is how she kills Daikumo later. And right, how so, Brain so, knows that she killed him. So showing it again here is important for that later. Right. Uh so, keeping with this theme, uh, Daikumo also has a really awesome spider poster. <laughs> and probably, that's, yeah, yeah, definitely, that's not Japanese actual script on the side, but the idea of having, like, some sort of caption, maybe poetic or something down the side of it is pretty, pretty neat. Right. Um, sometimes I wish, and this is expecting way too much, but sometimes I wish like the random Japanese and backgrounds was actual characters with actual meaning. Right. But I know that's that's expecting a lot of a bunch of <laughs> random European descended <laughs> right. American <laughs> artists and writers. Yeah. So then we get this brutal scene. I, I skipped in my synopsis about the, the, wolf, the, and the wolf and the tigers and almost kind of a parallel to Wolverine versus the the gangsters, um, you know, he's the lone one lone wolf against the odds using his berserker rage to take out quote unquote stronger beast or better or you know, bad odds. Um and I've been ruined on snapping in comics because Daikumo snaps here and not half of everybody dies. Um <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. It's pretty neat. He's like, Won't somebody rid me? Of this nuisance. Yeah, yeah. And he snaps, and you can just visually, he snaps, and the next shot is everybody jumping out of their seats and going to action. Right. And that might as well be Wilson Fisk. <laughs> I mean, that's a, a perfect, that panel can substitute him in a Daredevil story and his exact same effect. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he, I'm not entirely sure that I buy the. Facing off with the wolf and making him stand down. Because, um, I mean, he faces feral animals all the time and he has to take them down. So I, yeah. I don't entirely buy the wolf would, would back off here, but, you know, whatever. Yeah. I think Hama, that's Hama giving some dignity back to the nature. To the yeah. yeah. I like I, I like that idea as a storytelling choice. It just plays a little weird for me. But um, So there's... Uh... Do you have anything before page 22? I don't have page numbers. We get oh, okay. our jo- Joker scene with the acid, the, uh, the acid, the hypothalamic. Okay, so the page before that, there's two little tiny panels buried um, in red. Mm-hmm. Silhouettes of the guys with the swords and Wolverine making a weird zash sound with his claws. I really like the coloring and the silhouetting on those two little panels that kind of just get buried in that page. No, it's really good. It's like, it's the entire fight is those two panels. You have a larger panel where he's being charged by right. Yakuza thugs. <laughs> two panels, the the um, the people coming with swords, him coming with his, you know, quote unquote swords. And the right. next thing is Wolverine facing off with... Uh, uh, Malhir, or whatever yeah. his name was, with On a pile of Death bodies Star. behind him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
And you don't even get a close up of the pile of bodies. It's just no, it's just uh, um, what's the word? Uh, debris <laughs> in yeah. the back. Yeah, it definitely very very effective storytelling there. Yeah, and what what, what catwalk doesn't have a trap door? I mean, really, right <laughs> on the catwalk. On the catwalk. <laughs> Gotta I put a trap do. door in the catwalk. <laughs> I'm too snickety for my shirts. They always get ripped off. <laughs> and he he pulls Malhur into the Joker acid with him. And another part that I just had a little bit of trouble buying, and these are really my my two small complaints about the story. I understand that he would metabolize this substance quickly eventually <laughs> but the fact that it has zero effect on him and he right. basically pulls a bruce banner i'm always angry thing right yeah 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 um the thing is he's not already as strong and as mean as he can get he has his berserker rages right now to be fair it's a great line but it doesn't necessarily make sense <laughs> no I, I think I would have preferred even a brief berserker rage. He goes into anger, uh, kills the guy. Well, the guy's already dead. Goro's there. He pops a pill. And you have a brief fight of them both in full rage mode. Right. And, I mean, actually, all the rest of the arc could be the same with him being, you know, ragey and just take out the dialogue. Um, huh. Are we still doing Marvel method at this point? I have no idea. <laughs> I don't either. That's interesting. I wonder if if Sylvester meant for him to be just kind of nuts though, because look at his face when he comes out of the the tub. Yeah, and then his posture is very bestial the whole time. And then yeah, there's nothing in that fight that has to say he's calm. Maybe when he walks away, I guess, because if he was full berserker, he probably just would have stabbed him over and over again. Right. But, and at that point, you could have some captioning about the red starts to fade, you know. Right, right, right. But yeah, um, but yeah this is where the um, the other shoe doesn't drop on his yeah. prophecy. He's like, you have to finish it. Fulfill the prophecy. I, I, I don't go in for that mumbo jumbo. I'm leaving now. <laughs> you know, have a nice he, life, Dora. Right. He just dies in the ass because Wolverine cut his knees off. Right. Um, <laughs> And then we see Daikumo with the umbrella blade and the flowers. I forgot the flowers are also there. Oh, yeah. Um, she must keep a pouch of those. She must. Maybe her name means flower. I don't know. Um, then I like that we, do, we don't really get like much resolution with her, but we do see her at the end. Uh, and Tiger says, you know, sometimes somebody gets out. And she's got a uh, Goro sports car. And she's going to go off and have herself a new life. Uh, I don't means, remember if she ever comes back or not. I'm trying to. I meant to look that up and I forgot to. She does have one more arc. Okay, cool. And um, the Doctor Internet has told me that Reiko does mean gratitude in Japanese. Okay, cool. Um, so yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not laughing at that. I just noticed in that pan- in that panel above. Rako's face that Wolverine has a band-aid on his head. He does. <laughs> and 
and they kind of all have the same expression. I don't know if that's intentional or just the way it happened, but like, it's like no one's really happy about how all this turned out. Right. They're they're somewhat glad it's over. Like, I'll, you know, you talked about uh, Daikumo being very stoic in this, this issue. There is just kind of a stoic resolve to we resolve this. Don't really know if it's good, but you know, it, we can yeah. move forward. I guess. We stopped the bad guy, but it was a really bad situation. Right. Um, but yeah, that was that was a pretty fantastic opening to the Larry Hama run on Wolverine, which is going to go for, I don't know, 100 issues, I think, something like that. Yeah, it goes a long, long time. Forgotten. But yeah. So, we're, we're just kind of some of your overall thoughts um yeah 118 so like 90 issues oh wow so you know we it's it's madripoor it's wolverine in an element that we're very familiar with at this point which is kind of funny because the whole madripoor thing got established like at the beginning of the series marvel comics presents and wolverine number one were sort of taking turns establishing madripoor um so it hasn't been that long but it's an element we're familiar with. He, we get a, a cross, an international storyline with uh, Madripoor and Japan. Uh, we get some really bad, bad people. We have some pretty solid emotional moments for Wolverine. Like he goes through, goes through some stuff in this. Right. Um, and overall, I just like this is. This is what I want from a Wolverine story. Yeah. If, if you're talking about um, like classic Wolverine, 80s, early 90s Wolverine, this is this is the good stuff right here. It really is. Um, I think for his kind of first stab at the character. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> you can decide whether the pun's intended or not. I'll leave that up to listener discretion. His first um, snick at the character. <laughs> right, right. But for for his first go at Wolverine, Hama really gets his voice. I think, um, mm-hmm. you know, adds maybe a little bit more smart alecky that Claremont sometimes does, sometimes doesn't bring to him. But you know, I, I think he just really, really understands what makes Wolverine tick, how he would act in situations. Like it just all feels very, very Wolverine, and I think it's pretty impressive. I mean, usually people you know need a a couple of issues on a new character to kind of really get a feel for where they're going. And I feel like Hama kind of has it right out of the gate, which is pretty cool. When he starts this, um, he has already over a hundred issues of GI Joe under his belt. Right. So I'm wondering if whenever he started writing this, if he thought, okay, Logan is this GI Joe character and this GI Joe character mm-hmm. blended together. Like, is this Snake Eyes if he had a voice? You know, interesting. If he if he if he used like voices he already knew to kind of blend together and get a Wolverine voice, I don't know. Right. Just curious what his thought was right. on that. Which that's really interesting. I kind of, huh? I can see that Snake Eyes is probably a little more controlled than Wolverine would ever be. Um, you know, you get the sense in, in the in the comics that Snake Eyes is very kind of I want to say non-emotional because I don't want to make him sound robotic, but just always very measured 
um, in the comic, you know, I will say always, ever since I was a little kid, if there was going to be a crossover from G.I. Joe that came to the Marvel Universe, I always wanted it to be Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I would love to see Hama write a story. Hell, it could be now. It could be a what if of, of Snake Eyes and Wolverine going on a mission together. Um, <laughs> I'm just, I've always, always wanted that. Um, but no, it's interesting because, yeah, I think there's definitely, you know, you can almost wonder if it's a cross between those two. Um, like, you know, kind of the, the honor and stuff of, of Snake Eyes and then the impulsiveness of early Storm Shadow. Um, huh. I, I never really looked at it that way, but that's a very interesting thought and theory that he kind of took what he knew and what he had already kind of perfected in some ways as a storytelling and just adapted it to Wolverine. It's mm-hmm. an interesting thought. Huh. I like that. Uh, thank you for bringing that up. That's really cool. It'll be it'll be uh, neat to see where this goes. Now, one of the things I think that Hama doesn't pay as much attention to, and this is going to be standard fare, and maybe already is by the end of the 80s, going to the 90s, but paying attention to how the solo book intersects with the team books, <laughs> which is something yes. that Claremont was very careful about. But, but Claremont did that with all of his titles. Mm-hmm. Um, he really kind of, you know, but, one thing I've going noticed. Forward, you're going to have some protracted. <laughs> yeah. It gets really loosey-goosey. Um, now, I was going to say, one of the things I've noticed reading my uh, my 60s Marvel um, that I completed recently is how careful they are to line everything up across the comics. And Claremont very much always took a page from that, that. Of the, if he was writing three or four different books and he used characters in between, they always spelled out how they, how they got from point A to point B. And mm-hmm. Wolverine becomes so prolific, uh, really starting in about 90, definitely into 91 and 92, that you know, I, I, I don't know how that Travis Starnes guy made any kind of reading order out of Wolverine <laughs> because it seems like just an insurmountable, impossible task. Um because he's all over the place, and yeah, yeah, you're right. Because you know, gone are the days, and this is this is really true in modern comics as well. You know, when when Claremont first kicked off the ongoing series, or even the miniseries, Wolverine just straight up disappeared from Uncanny for like right. issues at a time, and you can never get away with that now because Wolverine has to be in everything. Um, and so if he's off doing something else, well, you just have to figure out where it fits. Um. And I think by the time we get, I don't know if it, I don't know if it's really a Hama thing or just a coincidence of the timing that he just happened to take on the book where Wolverine starts getting um, ubiquitous in the Marvel universe. Um, and I, 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 I don't know what you do as a writer in that situation, like how you keep saying and try to connect every dot of every appearance um i think at some point you just kind of throw in the talent i think that's what marvel has largely done with most of their characters in you know 2019 comics is that uh, you'll think the readers don't really care <laughs> right. um this which is, i kind um, of miss i kind of miss the the being able to draw straight lines from appearances to appearances but but i get why they don't but 
when Spider-Man has had multiple parallel storylines going on for years by this right. point, for over a decade. Right. Yeah. Um, Superman has his multiple titles. They're not yet doing the triangle numbering system, which will be typical of his story books. Right. But I think they are by this time. I think they are like intercutting between the series. So yeah. if you cool. read Superman and Adventures of Superman and Action Comics, you're actually getting a three times a month single narrative instead of parallel storylines. Um, so Do you have a preference? I'm just curious as a reader. Um. I don't mind the parallel stories, but it does tend to feel a little bit diluted and it tends to feel like some narratives just aren't as important. Like speaking of Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man was the book that drove that character. Whereas Spectacular Spider-Man felt like a, you know, close ranked second. And the other titles were just kind of over there doing their (laughs) thing. Yeah. Web Web of was the, the, uh, often ignored other child. Right. And these three issues come out in the era when Spider-Man has just gotten uh-huh. um, a fourth title with Todd McFarlane doing the art on that and it's in the in the writing. So, you know, he's four books a month right now doing parallel stories. Now, since 1990, here in 2019, we've gone through a transition where you'll have multiple comics coming out. Um, I think for Spider-Man, they did three times a month. Where Amazing Spider-Man, it would rotate creative teams, but it was coming out multiple times a month. So instead of having right. several parallel series, you have a single narrative. And that felt exciting. I felt like there was always new Spider-Man that mattered. Right. Know? Yeah. It, and now they've they've gone to having, you know, multiple titles again. Um, uh, they're kind of doing the both. They're kind of having their cake and eating it too. Uh, Amazing is still twice a month, and then you have the other titles as well. <laughs> right. And Superman's doing the same thing. He has Superman and he has action comics. Both were twice a month for a while, but now I think they're both um once a month, maybe, or maybe that I don't know, maybe they're twice. I don't know, it doesn't matter. Um <laughs> but yeah, I don't really have a preference. I think they both have their strengths, but right. when you when you do have that every single week there's a new chapter of an ongoing narrative, there's a certain excitement that goes with that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think I think I'm kind um, of in two minds. The nerd in me and, wants my stories to be in order. The artist in me is like, no, let the creators do, let them have the freedom to tell their story. So I'm kind of of, of both both camps on that one. Right, and coordinating it whenever you're a storyteller who wants to tell a story and you have to coordinate the chapters of your story with other people, that can probably be frustrating as a right. as a writer. Um, now, Hama is going to have some protracted story arcs on this book, and sometimes it's going to be really hard to figure out where stuff happens between the X-Men arcs and the and the Wolverine arcs. And they do they do interconnect and make references at some points, but sometimes it's just like, wow, okay, so these. Right. These 20 issues of Wolverine that don't have a break, we're just going to have to put them between these two arcs over here on Uncanny. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Um, so what? what's your overall thought on the art? Um, it's Silvestri. Silvestri is someone I really enjoy reading. Um, his art has... I don't know. It's always been 
ever since I first started seeing him on Uncanny, I'm like, wow, this guy, this guy's a certain style to him. And he came earlier than Jim Lee. So right. some of the stuff that Jim Lee did early on kind of felt like he was nodding to Sylvestri. Of course, right. now nowadays I think Jim Lee is a name you'll hear more often than Sylvester. So it's almost like, you know, the student surpassed the master or whatever. I'm not saying <laughs> that either one of them ever tried to copy the other. It's just they have a lot of similarities. Yes, definitely. I don't know. His faces are great. His his Wolverine body action. He has a great feel for him. Um, I feel like all of his characters looked different. And it'd be really easy to do some shorthands and make people look the same. But even, I mean... Tiger, Tiger, and Reiko, there were differences to their faces besides hair, you know? And right. and that's something that male artists tend to do is shorthand their women faces. Right. Um, well, and not to be ugly, but people often always shorthand cultural yes. traits as well. And so I think, I think it's cool that you do see the unique faces, body types – Whatever, you know, amongst the, the Asian characters in this book as well. But yeah, um, this is, I only have minor quibbles on this entire story arc. This is six out of six princess bars for me. Yeah, I really, I really was, I knew I kind of felt the same way. I, I really kind of wrestled with between five and six, but I think the one or two maybe panels here and there that kind of made me scratch my head were not enough to take away from the whole story. So I'm going to give all these six out of six claws as well. Um, I really, really enjoyed the story. It made me really excited, you know, and I was already excited coming in, but it just kind of doubled my excitement to read Hama's run as one straight run um, because this is one hell of a kickoff to it. And I really, really enjoyed it. And, you know, right now he still has, you know, he feels like he has his memories intact, so it's not even weird yet. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'll be that'll be fun. <laughs> I'm really I'm really curious whether that makes more or less sense to me now as a quote unquote fully developed adult. <laughs> right. And, and and well, really more than that, as a comic book veteran now, you know, now that I've been reading comics for you know, most of my life instead of just a few years, I'm wondering if, if it makes more sense or less sense. Um, <laughs> so I guess I guess stay tuned, listeners, to see to see what we think of all the Wolverine hijinks that eventually come in this run because there are a bunch. I can't even imagine being a um, reader at the time. <laughs> like, oh, I tell you what, man. Um, because by the time you get to the 40s and start building up to issue 50 and all that, it was a – first of all, just anxiously waiting the next issue to see what was going to be revealed. But also, you know, Wolverine was one of those first comics that I – when I started collecting it that I would get a new issue. And before I read it, I would go read like two or three issues before it again. Mm -hmm. to make sure I had my head in the right place to read the new issue. Um, you know, I do that more often now just because I enjoy it, but I really kind of felt like I had to <laughs> with the Wolverine comic as a you know, 12 or 13-year-old, you know, really just making sure that I really paid attention to the details. And, you know, it's kind of fun because it was a, a very similar thing that comes a, a few years later. Um, 
during the uh, when John Romita Jr. goes to Uncanny and you start having all that stuff with with Bishop and trying to put the clues together. There's a lot of kind of clue and and taking notes uh, that had that came with collecting Wolverine monthly in the '90s. Um, you know, just trying to. I, I know I wasn't sophisticated enough to come up with a flow chart or anything, but but I kind of mentally was doing that. I like just trying to keep track of everything, and it was it's kind of a different reading experience. It was it was fun, sometimes infuriating. Um, <laughs> but, right. Um, but yeah, no. Um, I I'm glad I don't have to wait 30 days or however, or I guess sometimes it was bi-monthly, but. Um, you know, two weeks or whatever to, to get the next issue. Um, now I can have the benefit of reading them whenever I want. <laughs> right, right. Just kind of so. like, and if you wanted to, you could always, like, I'm reading these issues for the show, but I got to figure out where this goes and, like, read ahead. Right. Yeah. So, I don't know, but cool. Well, so, yeah, a great kickoff to the story. Thank you so much for, for coming on. Why don't you, um, why don't you plug yourself? Plug myself. <laughs> Why don't you um, go plug yourself, man? <laughs> so I am on the internet, and I podcast more than is good for me. So <laughs> you can find me at three different places right now on a regular basis. One of those is Make Ours Marvel, where I'm talking about Marvel comics from the beginning. MakeOursMarvel.com is the website. At MakeOursMarvel is the Twitter uh, and that's available every Friday. Um, as I'm recording this with Jason, uh, Mike and I are middle of 1964. So, uh, Avengers and Sergeant Fury have just both gone monthly in our recordings. Captain America's on the team. It's, it's good stuff. Um, yeah. then, Every week, also the next morning on Saturdays, there is a TV show that I do a commentary for. And if you like Power Rangers or Japanese superheroes, then you may have heard of Super Sentai. Uh, And so um, my son and I are doing commentaries on every episode of that, uh, beginning with its first incarnation. He meets with Sentai Go Ranger, which is available every Saturday at my website, SuperSillySentai.JohnReadsComics.com or you can go to Twitter at SillySentai and follow me there. Then thirdly, because there are three, (laughs) every month on the first of the month, I drop several episodes of an Image Comics podcast where I'm just just taking the plunge and doing a read-through of early Image Comics as they came out and just podcasting my thoughts as I go through. A lot of it is new material, some of it is familiar material, and that is uh, just my solo journey exploration of the early years of Image Comics. You can find that at johnreadscomics.com or Twitter, I'm at all the pouches, and follow me there. Uh, and yeah, or just follow me on Twitter if you just want to, you know, see some comics covers. You can follow me at John Reads Comics. Very cool. So a few comments and uh, a question. Um, Speaking of uh, things that are bad for you, if you had known that the first podcast episode would have you addicted for life, would you still have done it? (laughs) (laughs) I've always loved hearing myself talk. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) 
<laughs> so podcasting is kind of directly catered to my my personality. <laughs> However, I'm not great at staying on top of organization, getting things done. So podcasting is also, you know, sometimes hard for me. But um, but Make Ours Marvel, as of our recordings, not yet for the publishing, but as of our recordings, we have been going for over a year now. And I have never, ever produced a podcast regularly on schedule for a year. Wow, that's awesome. So that is the first time, and you know, a decade of podcasting. That's the first time accomplishment. That's pretty cool. That is pretty awesome. Um, also, I'm an idiot. I think I've even heard you or, or seen you tweet about like pulling up your bowl of cereal. I never even put together that the the release schedule for Super Silly Sentai was to make it feel like a Saturday morning cartoon until you just talked about it being every Saturday. Um, that's really yeah. fun. That's really fun. Yeah, Saturday mornings, it's there. And yeah, that, that was my thought, because I think it came on Saturdays when it was originally broadcast. Uh, I, I know that Japan, I don't think, ever had the Saturday morning cartoon thing that we had in the 80s and 90s. Right. Um, but that's that kind of my thoughts. You know, Saturday weekend fun with your kids to sit down and watch a superhero show. Um, and um, that's been really fun to do with Keenan. We are well ahead of the release schedule on that so we're a quarter of the way through this first season 21 episodes in whereas the release is a bit i think around 10 or 11 right now um i forgot one other thing that i do on twitter if you are a scarlet witch fan oh yeah um, i have been tweeting um it's the same comics we're covering at make ours marvel but a little bit in depth on wanda's role in the stories at it's wanda time is my Scarlet Witch tweet blog where I just kind of go through my thoughts on her her published life history. And this summer, I'm probably going to accelerate it a little bit faster than the Make Ours Marvel show, but right now it's just keeping track with that. Oh, interesting. Okay. That would be cool. All right. That's a, that's a fun – I almost think of it as like a, a focused subset <laughs> of uh, Make Ours Marvel, but it's fun to, it's fun to watch. So – Listeners, if you're not already, and you should be, but you know, maybe you're maybe you're late to the party. Go check out all of John's stuff because it's all really cool. And I like. There's a lot of podcasts I like. There's a lot of comics podcasts I like. There's a lot of John Wilson podcasts I like. I think Make Ours Marvel maybe like mm, my favorite show. Full stop. So definitely go check oh. that out. Um, yeah, you know, and that's not to, to to demean all the other podcasts I love. I just I, there's a special, maybe it's because I'm also reading the '60s stuff as well. Maybe that has something to do with it. But I don't know. But also, you and you and Kaiser together are just kind of a y'all play off each other really, really well. So it's, it's a great show. So, but go check out everything that John does. Um, you will be you will be rewarded for sure. Um, thank you, thank you very much. Yeah, and of course uh, for the podcast that goes snicked, you can uh, like the Facebook page. Twitter is at snickcast. Um, show notes and stuff, which is really just hey, what what issues are we talking about? <laughs> is it uh, snickcast.podbean.com? Um, John, anything else you want to throw out into the uh, ethos or ether before we uh, call it a wrap? No, that's it. I, I've I've plugged all five of my Twitter accounts. So <laughs> that's kind of insane when you say it out loud. Yeah, it is. And they're all logged in on Facebook. They're all logged in on the Twitter app on my phone. I can you know pick either one I want to right access. So yeah, it's it's weird. 
<laughs> Did you have to create separate emails for all of them too, so that you could have the different handles? Actually, no. They, oh no. Okay. Yeah, you can do multiple handles on one email address. Oh, okay, cool. I'll have to keep that in mind. Um, awesome. All right, well, listeners, we are pushing the two-hour mark, and that's usually where people start to run out of patience. So we're going to call it. Um, so until next time, everybody, hugs and snicks. Bye-bye. And snacked.